الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين إن شاء الله تعالى we are on to the second uh, part of the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad we are on to the second part of the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad and I don't think we're going to finish Surah Al-Balad today but inshallah ta'ala we'll be able to get a, a certain amount through. Where did we finish last time? We finished in the ayah, or we finished on the ayah, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ We've certainly created mankind difficulty, suffering, hardships. And we mentioned the nature of these hardships. Does anyone remember why we said that this is beneficial. Why is it so important for us that Allah told us that your life is going to be suffering? Your life is going to be hard. Expect your life to be hard. You're born before you're born. It's hard on your, on your mother who carries you. She gives birth, it's hard. You are born, it's hard. You, you know, your teeth come, it's hard. You know, you grow up and it's hard. You're a teenager and it's hard. And, you know, you get older and it becomes hard and you live the life of work and then you get a family and then your own kids, you start worrying about them and it's hard. And then you get older and it becomes hard and you become sick and it becomes hard and so on and so forth. The one who has money complains of the hardships with it. The one who doesn't have money complains of hardships in not having it and so on and so forth. What is the benefit in understanding that our life is a life of this world which is genuinely one of hardships and difficulties. What is the what's the benefit in that? What do we what did we learn from that? Life is a test. Okay, good. If you have anything from YouTube, uh, please do let us know. Patience. Still not the main one we said last time. Until you get to Jannah. So we said it is encouragement towards Jannah, right? It's encouraging you that when you're going to find peace and when you're going to find happiness and when you're going to finally feel rest and completely no problems is Jannah. So you should work for Jannah. You should be working for Jannah, not living for this life. This life is kebed. It's hardships and suffering. And we said that another benefit you can take from this is that whatever you do in this life, how much money you get, how much success you get, inni la uqsim billah, I swear by Allah, you are not going to go out of al-kabad. Mukabada, mu'ana, shada'id. You're not going to go out of having difficulties and problems. So how strange is it that there are some people who are spending their whole life chasing the dunya, they're just chasing problems. They're chasing more problems. They're thinking that if I get money, I'm going to finally be happy. I'm not going to have any problems. Or if I get this which I want, this job, I'm not going to have any problems. Or when I get married, I'm not going to have any problems. Or once I've retired, I won't have any problems. You can't go out of this because Allah swore by Makkah. Allah swore by La uqsimu bihada al-balad wa anta hirrun bihada al-balad wa walidun wa ma walad Allah swore by the parent and the offspring 
or Allah Azza wa Jal swore by Adam and his offspring or by Ibrahim and Ismail and Allah swore whatever you're going to do in this life your life is going to be hard, tough it's going to have shada'id it's going to have some tough times and yes that doesn't mean you're never going to have a good time there are awqat times where you feel a little bit relaxed but how many of those times before you come back again to the shada'id, the difficulties and the, you know, the heart, the toil. Good word for kabad is toil. Work, you know, struggling and striving and tough all the time. There is another benefit behind this ayah. And that is this ayah, and this is what I think one of the things the brothers mentioned just earlier in the class. This is one thing with this ayah, is this ayah tells you how important it is for you to be content with the qadr of Allah. And this ayah actually brings you contentment with Allah's qadr. It makes you feel content. Because once you know Allah told me, expect it to be tough. Once you know that Allah said to you, it's going to be tough. Now you feel, what do you feel? You start to feel content with the qadr. You don't get angry with Allah. Well, some people get angry with Allah. Even I was discussing with the Imam of the Masjid before he went away, Sheikh Jawah, Allah Hafadah. We were talking that even some people in this community, when something bad happens to them, they start speaking bad about Allah. And even, subhanAllah, some of them might even curse Allah or might even curse Allah's qadr. And this is kufr, this is disbelief in Allah because something bad happened to them. Because what they were expecting, you know when we talk about setting your expectations, Allah set your expectations right here. We do that, you know when we go to Hajj, we often in our Hajj, when we take the people to Hajj, we do something, we call it setting the expectations, you know. Don't expect it to be easy, Hajj is hard, you're going to have troubles, it's going to be crowded. But I paid £8,000, I paid it. Listen, what you paid, expect it to be hard. So the same kind of concept is coming here. That look, don't expect this life to be an easy ride. And then you won't get angry with Allah's qadr. You won't feel down. Because you didn't expect it to be an easy ride. You expected it to be tough. And that's how it was. So you don't feel angry with Allah's qadr. And I'm going to give you an example of this. I'm going to give you a lovely example. The example, Sheikh uh, Khalil gave this example, this explanation. Look at what happened with the Ahzab. You remember the story of the Ahzab? The story of the Confederates. When the Muslims in Medina, they were besieged by the biggest army of the the non-Muslims, they came from everywhere in the Jazeera, everywhere in the peninsula. They all came together to finish the Muslims once and for all. You imagine a small number of people in Medina, you see this army that the Arabian Peninsula has never seen before. It's, as the eye can see, huge army. 
with all kinds of the wet weaponry and horses, cavalry, they have the best equipped army that the Arabs have ever raised. And they've come to wipe out the Muslims. How did the Sahaba behave and how did the Munafiqun behave? The Sahaba said, when they saw it, when they saw the Ahzab, they said, Hada ma they said, this is what Allah and His Prophet promised us would happen. Allah told us these people are going to come against you and they came against us. So what happened to them? What happened to them? In the surah, what did Allah say happened to them? That their iman, imanan, their iman went up. They said that uh, they said what an excellent how they said Allah Allah is enough for us and what an excellent disposal of affairs. They were happy. They saw an army that came to kill them and they said they praised Allah. They were happy. They took from that contentment and they took from that iman because they expected it and they were waiting for it. What did the Munafiqun say? They said that Allah and His Messenger, they promised us a lie. We did, you know, they, they promised us, they deceived us. We didn't, we didn't know this was going to happen. And they became angry with Allah, angry with Rasulullah because they didn't have an expectation that this was going to that this was going to happen and of course their lack of iman, their distance from Allah their nifaq, their hypocrisy, their disbelief it caused them to become angry so when Allah is telling you about difficulties don't take that like just let it go over your head Allah is telling you to prepare you to toughen you up, make you ready I'm ready that this life, I'm not living in this life because I think I'm living in Jannah. I'm living in this life to get to the life which is to come. That's when I'm going to relax. That's when I'm hoping that Allah is going to have mercy on me. That's when I'm hoping to relax and enjoy and so on. As for this life, if there's a time to enjoy it, alhamdulillah, whatever there is to enjoy that is halal, we will enjoy it. But I'm not expecting this life to be a place of enjoyment. So this prepares you and gets you ready to have sabr. It prepares you and it gets you ready to have sabr. Moving on, some of the scholars of tafsir, not all of the scholars of tafsir, interpreted the word kebab to mean mukabada uh, some of them they took it to refer to the creation of man they took it to refer to the creation of man They took it to refer to the creation of man. That man, mankind, 
your creation is, you know, if you look at yourself, that your creation, shiddatul khalq, the way you have been created, the toughness of the way you have been created. And they took that from the statement of Allah we toughened them in their, in their creation. Ibn al-Qayyim before we move on to the next ayah, mentioned a benefit here. He mentioned how it is that Allah Azza wa Jal swore by Aslu Sakani wa Aslu Allah swore by the first of the places which were prepared for people to live. Umul Qura, Makkah, the first, you know, the, the first, the mother of all of the towns, Makkah. And Allah swore by the original people to live there, Adam and his offspring. And then Allah, and then and we're going to continue to mention some of the benefits that Ibn Qayyim said uh, in this. But what he brings here is that there, is, there are so many signs for you if you look even at your own self. There are enough signs for a person to understand the need to worship Allah. If you just look at yourself, the way you were created, and that's going to continue the theme throughout the story. Does he think that there is no one that has power over him or no one will be able to have power over him? Does he think that there is no one who will be able to have power over him? In other words, how can a person, after they saw the nature of life, the toughness and the roughness that is in life, and they saw the way that Allah created them, how is it that a person can have this tawahum, this false impression, or how can a person be so arrogant and proud that they think that no one is able to have power over them. I.e. that Allah is unable to have power over them. This tells us something about the suffering in life. The toughness of life. It tells us that the toughness of life is a sign from the signs of Allah After you've seen the toughness of life, then you believe that there's no one who's going to take you to account. There's no one that can punish you in the dunya. Whatever you're going to do, everything is always going to work out the way you want. After you've seen, you've seen the kabad, you've seen the mukabada, the shada'id in life, and then you think nobody has the ability to have power over you. That Allah doesn't have any power over you. And this here brings us something different as well. 
brings us a great benefit. It tells us the situation of mankind without Islam. That he's between two situations. Which two situations is mankind without Islam? The disbeliever or the one who is far away from Islam. What two situations does that person go between that are both mentioned in these two ayat? Let's see if we get any answers from the people who are watching on YouTube. Allah told us about the suffering and the toil that exists in life. And Allah told us that man who has been created with this difficulty and suffering thinks that there is no one that has any power over him. Or no one will have any power over him. What does this tell us about how mankind are between two situations without Islam. Is everyone sleeping? <laughs> Any suggestions? Okay. It tells us that mankind goes between two situations. Number one, suffering and hardship. And in that situation, the person, they start to despair. And they start to say that, oh, you know, that there is no hope. Or that at that time, they might turn back to Allah temporarily. Then when things are made easy for them, what do they say? As if they forgot all the suffering that they went through. The first day that something became easy for them, thinks that no one can do anything to him. The first day, you know, he's been going through sickness, 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 hardship, suffering. The first day he became healthy, he feels like he owns everything and nobody has any control over him. He's been poor, poor and needy whole life. The first day he gets money, he behaves as though there's no consequences to his actions. I'm going to spend that money however, do whatever I want. I'm going to behave however I want. He doesn't think there's any consequences to his action. But yesterday he was in poverty. Yesterday he was suffering and today he thinks there is no consequences for his actions. No one has a power to take into account no one has the power to bring him back to the poverty again. But Allah has that power over him. So the Muslim, what situation is the Muslim in? The Muslim is in a situation between two things, sabr and shukr. When the Muslim is in a situation of suffering and toil and difficulties, what happens? They go towards a sabr. They lean. They don't stop making shukr. They don't stop gratitude. But they incline themselves towards sabr, patience. 
start to be more patient and, and really push themselves to be more and more patient. And when things go well, they start to incline themselves towards shukr. They don't stop being patient, but they start to concentrate and focus upon their gratitude. As for the disbeliever, when things go bad, they despair and when things go well they think that there are no consequences to what they do they don't take a lesson from their suffering whereas the Muslim takes a lesson from their suffering and their toil they're working hard they take a lesson from it they realize that this is the evidence they realize that this is the evidence that Allah has power over them. Yaqulu ahlaktu malam lubada. Malam lubada. Malam kathira. Lubada here, like the word mulabad, something which is huge. He says, I have ahlektu. Ahlektu. Look at the way he describes it. I have wasted away. I've caused all this money, just all this money to just be used up. All this money to be used up. Does he think that there was no one that can see him? Does he think that there was no one that can see him? So here, the word Lubada, Yaqulu Ahlaktu Malan Lubada. We said that Lubada, it means. It means money piled on top of the other. He says, I used up money that was piled on top of itself. It was so much that it was money piled on top of money piled on top of money. He didn't fear that there were any consequences to using that money. He didn't think anyone had qudra. He didn't think that anyone had ability over him. He didn't think that anyone had power over him. He thought that I can just use this money and spend this money and nothing is going to happen to me. He didn't think that anyone saw him wasting all of that money away, burning up all of that money that was piled on top of itself. The majority of the scholars of tafsir, they translated or they explained the word, explain, the word lubada as being kathiran, mujtami'an, ba'duhu ala ba'du. Large amount of money, all brought together, some of it on top of the other. And they explained the spending of the money as spending for a shahawat. 
spending in his desires. Not spending for Allah. Otherwise, someone might say, Does that not mean, why didn't he spend his sadaqah maybe? Maybe he spent it for his family. Maybe he spent it for uh, his parents. Maybe he spent it for his relatives. But the word ahlaktu indicates that he didn't. Ahlaktu. I, I made it disappear. I made it into nothing. It indicates that he spent it on shahwat, his desires. He spent it on the haram. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, he brought a meaning that is more specific. Ibn Jarir, he said, the meaning is he spent it fi adawati Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He spent it in the enmity of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He spent it against Islam. He spent it against Islam. He spent it against Islam. And that meaning is included in the meaning that other scholars of Tafsir said, but they made it general. He spent it on his shahwat, his desires, he spent it in the haram. Ibn Jarir, he said, he spent it in, against Islam. And you shouldn't be surprised about that because Allah Azza wa Jal told us about those who disbelieve. Allah Azza spoke or told us about They spent their wealth in order to take people away from the path of Allah. This is something that is normal for the people who have enmity towards Islam and hatred towards Islam. It's normal. They spend their money and you see them spending money upon money piled up in order to harm Islam and the Muslims. And a person, subhanAllah, would look at this and sometimes they might feel despair in their heart. They might feel that, subhanAllah, how much money is it that the enemies of Islam spend to destroy Islam? Money that was piled on top of money, on top of money, just piles of money used up to destroy Islam and harm Islam. But you need to understand that Allah promised us that this money will not benefit them. This money will be hasra for them. It will be a loss for them. Then they will be defeated. So nobody should feel surprised that they use this money like this. I wasted and I used up money in piles upon piles upon upon piles. So let's go back and take these three ayat now. Does he think that there is nobody that has that will have power over him 
he says, I have used up money or wealth, some of it piled upon the other. Does he think that nobody sees him? Does he think that nobody sees him? And Imam Ibn Qayyim, one of the benefits that he brought to you, brought many benefits to you, honestly, and I might read his statement in full uh, in the next class, inshallah. Ibn Qayyim, he mentions that recompense, you know when Allah brings you on the day of judgment and gives you recompense, reward or punishment? Reward or punishment comes from or, or the, the, the characteristics that Allah has that make Allah capable of giving of recompense, of giving you punishment or reward are Al-Qudrah Wal-Ilm are power that Allah is able to do all things that Allah is knowledgeable of all things that Allah sees all things Okay? How, if someone said, you know, I don't believe that I'm going to be punished. I don't believe when I die, there's going to be a resurrection. What evidence from Allah's attributes would you give them to show them that this is not true, that you will be given a recompense, you will be given a judgment? Allah's power over all things, Allah's knowledge over all things, Allah sees all things. And all of this is mentioned in Surah al does he think that nobody has qudra, nobody has power over him? Does he think nobody has power over him? Allah has complete power over him. Allah has complete power. Does he think nobody sees him? Allah has complete knowledge. And Allah has seen everything that he did. Now we said Ibn Jarir brought a bit specific. Ibn Jarir said this is talking about the one who spends his money in order to harm Islam. So what did Ibn Jarir then say about Does he think nobody sees him? Does he think nobody sees him at the time when he is spending his money? That's what Ibn Jarir said. Does he think nobody sees him at the time when he spends this money against Islam. As for the others, they kept it general. They said he spends the money in haram. Does he think no one is able? Does he think no one sees him? In other words, when you put those things together, does he think that there will be no consequences for his actions? Because consequences come because of Allah's qudra, Allah's ability, and because of Allah's ihafa, Allah's having complete knowledge of everything that you do, this is how recompense comes. Al-Jaza and Al-Deen. It comes because of Allah's Qudra and because of because of Allah's ability and because of Allah's Ihafa. Allah having complete knowledge and seeing everything that happens because of that you know you can't escape. So the one who wasted this money in the Haram or the one who spent it in the enmity of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, that person is going to meet 
they're going to meet the recompense and they're going to have consequences for what they do. It also indicates, as we said, that the person never thought that Allah can give him consequences in this world or the next. What could be a consequence of spending that money in this world? What could be a what could be his con like the, what could be the negative or the consequence? What could Allah punish him with in this world? He spent all this money in haram. What might Allah punish him with in this world? What do you think? Spent all these piles of money in haram. What might be one of the punishments in this world? Or shaitan got in control over him. That's very true. I, I think that's true. That's one. Shaitan might get control over him. What about poverty? Allah might make him poor. He's just getting this money and he's wasting it, burning it up in every kind of haram. He's burning it up, spending it against Islam. Yeah, taking his money away. That's a very good one. You put that one on there. Brilliant. Taking his money away. Maybe Allah will take his money away. We're going to taste test them with some of them. We're going to make them taste some of the minor punishment before the major one. Maybe Allah will take his money away. Perhaps he will repent. But if it comes to Yawm Al-Qiyamah, then the punishment is far worse. The punishment of the Akhirah is much, much worse. The punishment of the Akhirah is much, much worse. So in summary, how could a person not realize after they saw themselves, they saw the, how their life is, and they thought they were left without any guidance and without anyone watching over them. And they thought that there would be no consequences for, for actions that they would do. Rather, the one who gave them this wealth is the one who is able and the one who has complete power over them and sees everything that they do. And I just want you to really think about how this statement, Yaqulu ahlaktu mala yurada, is sandwiched between the two ayat, between al-Qudra wal-Ihaq, between power and between complete knowledge of everything that happens. Power and complete knowledge over everything that happens. And in between that, what does man say? He says, I wasted all this, I used all this money, piled on up. I, I used it, I spent it all. And also that a person never ever feels sad from the Muslims when they see the enemies of Allah with so much money. You always see that, don't you? People say, look, they have the billionaires and they have all this money and all this uh, materials and all this weaponry and all of this. They have, hey, what do we have? They don't despair. This is how Allah Azza wa Jal decreed this life to be. And Allah didn't give it to them because He loves them. Because what's the qa'idah? 
What's the principle? Allah gives the dunya to who? To whom? To whom does Allah give the dunya? To those that he loves and those he doesn't love. Meaning Allah gives the dunya, he might give it to a Muslim, he might give it to a Kafir. But as for the akhirah, Allah only gives it to whom he loves. Allah only gives the akhirah to the one he loves, but the dunya, Allah gives it sometimes to the people he loves and sometimes to the people that he doesn't. So a person doesn't become scared or anxious, but they realize this is a test from Allah. This statement, Ahad, Ayahsabu does he not see that anyone has power over him? Does he not see that anyone can see him? Does he not think that anyone can see him? The word anyone here, Mujahid, Rahimullah Ta'ala, he said, meaning Allah. Does he not know that Allah has power over him? Does he not know that Allah can see him? So whenever we see a person spending all of this money in the enmity of Islam, then we realize that this is only a test for the Muslims to see how you will behave and who will defend Allah and his religion and who will defend the religion of Islam. Who will defend the religion of Islam? Who will defend the cause of Allah and his religion? That's the only thing, it's a test. Who will defend the cause of Allah and his religion? And it is not because those people have any ability or any power besides Allah Have we not given for this person two eyes? There are many benefits in the statement of Allah Have we not given this person two eyes? First of all, there are different ways you can take this ayah in the context of what came before. It could mean What is this person fighting against Islam with? What is this person being arrogant towards Islam with? With the two eyes that Allah gave him. With the tongue that Allah gave him. With the lips that Allah gave him. The person is using what Allah gave him. And is using what Allah gave him to fight against Islam and show enmity to Islam. That's one thing. One way that you can see it. How can you disobey Allah? When Allah is the one who gave you those things. Even, it's not just for the enemies of Allah, even as Muslims. How can you disobey Allah with the two eyes that Allah gave you? How can you disobey Allah with the tongue that Allah gave you? And this is where Ibn Qayyim mentioned the signs of Allah in a person. If you just look at yourself and your life, you can see why you should worship Allah. This is the fitrah, right? The nature of man, the natural inclination of mankind, the natural, you know, you realize, you look at yourself, look at your life, look at your eyes. 
Look at your tongue and you can see why it is that you should, why it is that you have to worship Allah. So that's one way that we can take it. Didn't Allah make for you two eyes? So how can you disobey Allah with these two eyes? Didn't Allah give you a tongue and lips? How can you disobey Allah that tongue and those lips after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to you? Allah gave you your wealth. How can you waste that wealth or spend it against Islam or spend it in the haram and waste piles and piles of it when Allah gave it to you? So that is one way that we can look at this. Then Allah He told us and we guided him and Najdain. The overwhelming majority of the scholars of Tafsir, they said, and Najdain is a tariqatin, the two paths. We guided him to the two paths. What are the two paths? Who can tell me, based on the Tafsir we've done so far, because it's come before as well, what are the two paths? Allah guided you to the two paths. What two paths? The path to what and the path to what? Or the path of what and the path of what? How many paths lead to Jannah, by the way? How many paths lead to Jannah? Surah Al-Fatiha. How many paths lead to Jannah then? One. Just one. Qul hadihi wa anna hadha sirati mustaqeeman fattabi'u wa la tattabi'u subh. This is my one path, which is straight, so follow it. And don't follow any of the other paths. The paths to Jahannam are many. Path to Jannah is one. What does it mean guided him to the two paths? So it can't be like Jannah and Jannah, right? Jannah Jannah and Jahannam, okay, that's not a bad idea. Any other ideas? Which one? Jannah and Jahannam, that's a good idea. Jannah and Jahannam, that's a good idea. The ulama, they say here generally, Al-Khayru wa Shar. Good and evil. Where did we learn this from? Wa nafsin wa ma sawwaha fa'alhamaha fujuraha wa taqwaha. Allah inspired man to know the fujur, what was the evil, and what was, what was the good. So here I have a big question for you. And I'm not really impressed with the answers today, I must admit. I feel like we're a little bit distracted or not, we're not getting enough participation. The guidance here, what kind of guidance is it? There are two types of guidance. There are two types of hidayah, two types of guidance. 
I think we mentioned it in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha. There are two types of guidance from Allah. I'm not the right and wrong. I mean, guidance itself can mean two things. I'll give you an example. Allah said about the Prophet You don't guide who you, who you love. And Allah said, You guide the people to a straight path. So Allah said to the Prophet You don't guide, and he said you do guide. So there are two types of guidance. Because it can't be both. You can't guide and not guide. There has to be two types of guidance, right? So the two types of guidance, especially from the people watching on YouTube now, because these people have been going through, many people have been watching the videos before. Two types of guidance. Righteous actions. Righteous actions, and, and maybe, no, not quite though, you know. More general than that. We're not talking about good and evil. Okay, the Prophet is a guide to Islam and knowledge. And, and what is the guidance from Allah? The person's not done a bad job. It's a good effort. It's a good effort. Definitely a good effort. Still, there's a little bit, needs a little bit more. Two types of guidance. One guidance you can do, and one guidance you can never do. Think of the word guidance in English. How can I use the word guide in English? That would be suitable for a person. Give me a sentence in English where I use the word guide and it's suitable for a person. No, not the fitr. The fitr is from Allah. What about if I stop you in the street and I say, excuse me brother, could you guide me to the mosque? Direction. Alhamdulillah, direction. Al-Irshad wa tawjih giving me some direction. Excuse me, brother, could you guide me to the local masjid? Is that not what we say in English or do we not say that? Yeah? Can you guide me to the local masjid? Yeah, can you show me the way? Tayyip, that is from human beings. That can be from human beings. I mean, it can be. It can be from Allah. It can be from a human being. What is the guidance that's only from Allah? But guidance in life. Someone said guidance in life. But guidance in life, I could ask. Ah, if you don't mind, can you just you know, give me some guidance in my life? Ex you know, give me some advice, direction. I'm, I've come to you to ask for guidance. Okay, good, really good. Hidayah, but Hidayah is two types. I can ask someone, guide me to the right, guide me to, I'm, I've come to ask you for some guidance. Meaning, Irshad, Tawji. Okay, and Allah says about the Prophet you guide. That's the thing. The word we're looking for is Tawfiq. The success to be able to do it. The success. That success is only from Allah. Hidayah to Tawfiq. Hidayah of the Akhirah, that's fine as well, no problem. But the Hidayah which is Tawfiq, which is success. 
the guidance which is success, the final success, the ability to actually get there and do it, that's what comes only from Allah. As for directions, directions come from, from anyone can give you directions, right or wrong, and of course Allah can direct you. So which hidayah is intended in the ayah? Here. We guided them to the two ways. Does it mean tawfiq, success, or does it mean direction? So in the ayah, the person is saying in this ayah, in Surah Al-Balad, the word hadayna, it means irshad. Okay. Someone said it means tawfiq. That's good because we only have two opinions and we have both of them. I want you to think about the ayah though. I want you to think about the implication of it. Okay, take the word hadayna and replace it with one of the two. وَفَقَنَا لَهُ النَّجْدَيْنِ Does that make sense? We gave him the tawfiq to do good and the tawfiq to do bad. Yeah, it can. But here we have to change the meaning. We have to say that when we say tawfiq to do good and bad, what we mean about that is that Allah Azza wa allowed the believers when they made their they made their choice they made their choice to to be good to be believers Allah gave them the success to do that and when the disbelievers made their choice to be disbelievers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that for them that's one way but that's not the one that is most clear from the ayah what is most clear from the ayah is that the hidayah here is irshad Meaning Allah Azza wa Allah made clear for us the two paths. Allah made clear the path of good and Allah made clear the path of evil. Allah directed us as to what is good and directed us as to what is evil. Allah showed us. He clarified to us what is good and what is evil. This is the most obvious uh, tafsir of the ayah. We guided, i.e., we showed and clarified to them which way is good and which way is evil. But some of the scholars of tafsir, they did take the hidayah here to be hidayah, tawfiq, and they took this, that. Allah Azza wa created mankind. Either grateful or ungrateful, either believer or disbeliever. But when we say that Allah created you to be good or to be bad, does that mean you have no choice in the matter? Does that mean that you are now, and Allah created you to be from the people of the fight? Goodbye and good night. Allah created you to be from the people of the fire. That's true. Allah created for created a people for Jannah and created a people for the fire. No doubt about it. But does that mean when we say someone say, comes and says, Allah has created me to be from the people of the fire? 
That's it. It's over. No. Rather, Allah guides as a blessing and a grace and misguides out of wisdom and justice. Allah will not misguide you while you are sincerely trying to reach the truth. Allah will not misguide you while you are supplicating to him and begging him and trying your very, very best. Allah said, Those people who strive for us, we will guide them to our paths. There are other opinions from the scholars of Tafsir uh, regarding this ayah uh, that about Al-Najdain that have nothing to do with the two paths of good and evil. Some of the scholars of Tafsir, uh, they took a completely different, uh, completely different meaning from the ayah. For example, some of them said, that we guided him to drink from his mother uh, when he was born. And some of them said, we guided him to drink from his mother, his mother's milk when he was born. But this is not really the, this is not really a strong uh, tafsir of the ayah. The majority of the scholars of tafsir, they took the opinion that Najdain means the two paths. The path for good and the path for evil. I think we'll stop there because our Asia time now is moved to half past eight. So what we'll do is we'll see if there are any uh, we'll see if there are any questions. Any questions from the brothers who attended? Or any questions from the sister side who didn't attend? Yes, that's absolutely true. Even if we if we give irshad to our children, we give them guidance and direction. Because the tawfiq is from Allah, they may not be guided. And that's the meaning of the statement of Allah. You don't guide who you love, but Allah guides whoever He wants. That's completely true. One minute. Your whole life is guidance of Irshad and guidance of Tawfiq. 
in your whole life you have a guidance which is about giving you the right direction and you have a guidance which is about the ultimate success and the result and the ultimate success and result it comes from Allah the ability to actually follow that so if you look at it Allah has sent down instructions right that's from the guidance of Allah instructions and instructions come from Allah and they can come from people as well people can give you instructions and guidance and information but whether you actually follow that and internalize it and bring it in that is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's why some people you give them every sign about Islam you give them every information about Islam you give them every direction and nasiha advice but they won't take your advice so that's why that's something important so even when the person reaches the age of puberty they continue to get advice they continue to get instructions from Allah through the Quran and the Sunnah instructions from the scholars of Islam and the dua instructions from their family guidance you know from good people around them but ultimately whether they accept that and actually take it on board and get a result out of it that is in the hands of Allah okay I'll wrap it up there inshallah that's what Allah Azza made easy for me to mention, and Allah Azza knows best. Was salatu was salam ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'.